Are you in a position where you're defined by your age and that's limiting you to pursue a dream or goal you want to accomplish? The More Than Your Age podcast is about having conversations with women who fully live their lives without being dictated or defined by their age. This is a space to encourage women who feel blocked to pursue a dream or goal based on their life circumstances. Welcome to the More Than Your Age podcast. I am your host, Erica Pazbard. Let's start living life fully and become more than your age. Welcome to the More Than Your Age podcast. This episode is the last guest episode for the 2023 year. Can you believe it? What a year it has been. I'm thankful to finish this year off with my final guest, Joanna Miller. Joanna has a unique story of moving to the States from Panama as a young girl and learning how to navigate life as an immigrant without any knowledge of the English language. Her grit and determination to learn and grow quickly helped her become the woman she is today. Joanna's background helped her launch the start of several businesses and a side business in the short-term rental market. Joanna has such a vivacious personality that you'll fall in love with as soon as you listen. Enjoy the last guest episode of the year and stay tuned next week for the final episode of 2023. Joining me on the More Than Your Age podcast is international game changer in language education and founder and director of Mellifluent, Joanna Miller. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Erica. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you, Joanna. I remember I was trying to think back to when we officially met. And was it when we were Kichikomos at KAA? Oh, yes. Do you remember that time? Oh, so well. The early mornings, (laughs) late nights. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) For for the listeners who may not know, uh, KAA is a summer camp. It's called Kids Across America. And so Joanna and I worked in the kitchen all summer, as glamorous as that sounds, (laughs) sweating, feeding the children, sometimes a thankless job, but (laughs) it it was fun. It was a good time. Taught me so much. Bonded so well. I remember those times. Yeah, those were good. Well, it's, you know, and I know we would see each other here and there in Denton, and then time passed, and you moved away to Atlanta, and I moved somewhere in Dallas. And and so we've kind of kept in touch via social media. So it's been really neat for me to see, like, the the different business ventures that you've been on and just kind of connecting as well with real estate and whatnot. And so I'm excited to hear uh, just have you share your unique perspective from your background and what you've accomplished. And so I want you to first start off and share that you were originally from Panama. So how did your family get to the U.S. and and why did they decide to move here? Yes. Um, so in 1989, I moved here from the Republic of Panama. Um, And the way that we came here was because my mom married a U.S. soldier, which became my stepdad, very instrumental part of my life. Um, So we moved here, stayed in Fort Riley, Kansas, stayed in Virginia, and then um, ended up in Texas. And there is where we just took root. And so my mom at that time was a single mom. And so in a new country, basically, And um, 
it was, but it was still a better life than Panama. Panama was still developing a lot of civil unrest and the economy was stabilizing. So anybody who came to the States, it was like your ticket to the American dream. So, um, yeah, so that's what's the main reason why we came here. Do you remember much of the transition from leaving Panama and coming to the States? How old were you also at that time? Uh, I was I was eight. I was just turning eight. And the transition was very, I would I would even say traumatic because for most of my for most of my life at the time, my childhood life, all I know was one language, which was Spanish. And the culture was very um, diverse. Right. There were all kinds of people who looked like me or looked like you and spoke Spanish. And we kind of just related on a level of really socioeconomic status in terms of like, hey, we might not be rich, but we all love one another kind of thing. Um, So coming here, um, it was very different. It was very separating. And so that was kind of traumatic for me. And then it was just another language, right? And then my mom didn't know the language and I had this new dad and it was just a lot for me to take in, but I quickly had to adjust. Now, were you, uh, do you have siblings? So did you have siblings with you or only child? Only child coming here. My brother wasn't born until 1990, which was actually a year later. And yeah, but that's my only sibling. Sibling, He's eight years younger than me. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, that I would imagine that that was terrifying. Like you said, traumatic. And you're moving. And then first you said Kansas and then Virginia and then Texas, right? Yes, pretty much. Kansas, because that was where the military base was. It was kind of our landing site. And then uh, my stepdad's family's from Virginia. So we ended up staying there until they separated. And my mom came to the uh, where my aunt was, which was where the rest of the family was. Yeah. In Texas. Do you do you recall, I guess, you know, one of your first it doesn't have to be the first day, but just your first experiences of stepping into a school and, you know, not knowing the language and what was that like for you um, as, I mean, a foreigner at the time? Yeah, essentially a foreigner. Well, I mean, my first recollection was, I mean, stepping on a big green airplane. It wasn't even a regular traveling airplane. It was literally a military cargo airplane with all these families sitting on the floor with these like seatbelts and they gave you a fruit cup <laughs> oh my god first of all was and the plane was so loud right so that's already like oh where are we going to war um <laughs> <laughs> and so so that that's one instance and then yeah coming into a school where like yeah you don't know the language and all you can really understand is body language and body cues and then your mom doesn't know the language so she can't really provide any comfort Um, But you quick, I don't know, as a bilingual or a foreigner, like you just kind of quickly assimilate, you know, you just kind of turned into survival mode. And so um, I've always been a learner. So I picked up the language pretty quickly. They didn't have an ESL or a bilingual program at the time. So it was like immersion. Okay. (laughs) And so cartoons and Sesame Street really taught me how to read and (laughs) and pick up on just... um, just social cues and um, just, you know, just learning to be adapted to a new culture. So, Okay. So I have a side question for you. Um, so my, well, 
Also background, my, my dad moved to the States. He was 25 or 26 from Iran, and he knew very little English as well. And so it was just kind of immersion, immersion as well for himself. And so for you, because you are a language educator, for looking back for your personal experience, are you thankful that you did not participate in an ESL or <clears throat> dual language program? Or do you wish that would have been readily available because you would have been more successful? Kind of what are your thoughts with that? I'm just curious. Um, you know, having gone through the bilingual program, I think it would have been a more thorough experience if I would have been in a bilingual program, but also immersion taught me things that I don't think a bilingual program would have prepared me for, like in terms of like just survival skills, how to better understand people through other cues. And I, and I really think that it taught me to be a critical thinker faster because I had to rely on my creativity and my surroundings and how to think on my feet. And that was my experience. And maybe for those like who need more support, I think a bilingual program would have helped, especially if they're not like, if people aren't as motivated to learn just in general. So it, I think it really just depends on a person. But um, but I still, when I teach people, I always encourage immersion um, just because you have to take ownership of how you're going to persevere in this language. And so you have to get comfortable with what helps you be successful personally. Yeah. So for you, how long, because you said it was pretty quick for you to learn the language. Do you remember mm -hmm. about how long it took you to feel pretty comfortable to understand and respond? Um, I, I would say by a year, because I was so young. So language input was happening anyway at that age. And so I would say about a year, my stepdad didn't feel comfortable with me moving to the next level. So I think they kept me in like the reading class for another year. That was their bilingual prep program. And I think that helped me a little bit more. But then after that, I just became a ferocious reader because I knew that I could learn new things to reading the new language. And that really accelerated my English development for sure yeah <clears throat> that's interesting now your stepdad did he and um, was he a spanish speaker as well so did, did y'all speak spanish at home or was it kind of a mix because i know your mom did not speak english yeah no he was um a country boy from virginia all right <laughs> um, <laughs> so he he really desired for us to assimilate quickly especially my mom who was just rebellious towards it um, and, and, you know, she had an opportunity to learn English in Panama, but she refused because it was just, she was older. So, I mean, it just, you know, it wasn't easier for her, but in our household in the United States, English was the first language, but because my mom was so rebellious, I, I stayed speaking Spanish because I was her translator. Um, I would, I don't know, I, rem I would order pizza I, for, for the family. I'm in third grade, you know, and I, I would pay bills and provide credit card numbers in third grade. <laughs> like, I, I just had to grow up really quickly when it came to those things. So the Spanish stayed with me no matter how much I wanted to forget it and wanted to be like my friend. So, um, yeah, my stepdad did not encourage Spanish. So for you now, how has the experience of growing up as a first-generation immigrant played into your role as a parent now, raising your children, and then for you personally as an adult? Well, the first part of that question, just being a first-generation everything, 
I definitely encourage my children to be bilingual. One, because coming here and then now as an adult, I realize that we're not just we're not just American citizens or even Panamanian citizens, but we're like global, global citizens. And so I really try to um, encourage that within my students, like learning more than one language and also just education and being like a lifelong learner. Um, I think bilingual, having the bilingual ability just kind of opens my mind and just a whole different world, you know. And so I really try to encourage that in my family, even though they don't always appreciate it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they will one day. Oh, I hope so, because it took me a while, too. But yeah, it's just really forced me to really ingrain that into everything that they do. Yeah, it's so huge. I mean, I think what you said, too, is, you know, be more than just American citizens or Panama citizens, but be global mm-hmm. citizens. And it does. I mean, I love Spanish myself and learned it at an older age and it like getting it the chance to go to different countries that speak a different language, whether it's Spanish or not, like it really mm-hmm. does open your eyes to see that the world is so much bigger than our little bubble that we live in. Wherever, that's- whoever's bubble, you know, everyone has some type of bubble. But um, so, yeah, so I, I love that that's uh, played. Obviously, it's had to have played a few, huge factor in your life yes. and who you are as well. OK, well, let's you know, we'll fast forward to the time, kind of the time when I knew you a little bit. Mm-hmm. When So you were working in the college ministry or helping with your husband in Denton for several years. And then while doing that, you also worked with adults and bilingual education. Could you explain a little bit specifically about this program and, and kind of what you did and why that was important to you? Yes, yes. So it, it's definitely important to me because I always just try to be connected to my culture, whether it's through language or just learning more about my history. Um, but language is, is, is what's really important to me and close to my heart. So I always try to find opportunities, even in very homogeneous didn't. <laughs> and so um, the inspiration behind um, basically that language club was because I kept getting inquiries from people asking me to teach them Spanish, or they just wanted a safe place to practice. And so I did um, a a small cohort with a few people in our church and just people who were interested in the community. And we just hit it hard and just learned the basics, the alphabet, how to pronunciate a lot of different um, words and different using different contexts. And that was a lot of fun because um, I just got to see teaching language in the adult setting. And I, got, I learned a lot from that. And also just working with our church's um, bilingual, out, um, what was it? I forgot the name of it. But they basically were a ministry that reached out to bilingual families through tutoring. And that was a lot of fun as well. So those were kind of my avenues to get that passion out about language. Um, and so I really enjoyed that. For sure. At that time, were you thinking that you would want to pursue this as a business down the road? Or was this more of, no, there's a need, like I have people reaching out, I'm just going to do this to help out because I'm passionate about it, I love it? Or was your mindset kind of going towards this business route? Well, because of my heritage has the entrepreneurial gene, both Jamaican and Latino, that has always been in the horizon. Is um, 
some sort of business in assisting people. But initially it was just helping people and and just feeding into my passion of language learning. Um, and then I just kept getting, you know, more inquiries like, can you tutor? I'll pay you. And I was like, hey, yeah, I'll take that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely monetize. And so <laughs> I slowly started investing in it um, and didn't. But I think in Atlanta, when I seen the need was when I decided to um, just make it an official business. And I have been building very slowly since then. Okay. And I want to get to that too. But um, before you guys moved to Atlanta, and correct me if I'm wrong, you Mm -hmm. and your husband decided to adopt, correct? Yes, we did. Okay. So why why was adoption important to you? And and why, why did you guys move forward with that? Well, adoption was important. I think actually we were, we went on a mission trip. My, at the time he wasn't my husband, but we went to Honduras and we went to basically take the position of the staff at an orphanage. And we didn't know that at first, but they quickly gave us the keys and took off. Okay. (laughs) Gave us a quick little tour and was like, Hey, can you take care of our kids until we, until we come back? And we were like, sure. And during that time, um, you know, we were cupcaking, me and my husband, and we were thinking about, oh, cupcaking means, you know, just being super affectionate and things like that and dreaming and things <laughs> like that. <laughs> and so we were like, man, would, would you adopt one of these babies? You know, because they came from very hard situations. And I think that really dropped the seed in both of our hearts. And we didn't think about it for a while. And then um, the more we learned about, you know, who God was in our lives and how, like, he adopted us. It just became a natural worldview. Like, let's just do it. And then for us, once we got married, getting pregnant didn't come as fast as it could. So we were like, okay, we're fresh and young. We have energy. We better do it now. And and we did. And we fostered to adopt, actually. And in 2015, uh, in July, we got our, our girls. And um, we were thinking like, oh, we're going to just do it for a year or so. But they ended up just staying with us for a lifetime. And so we adopted them the next year in, tw- in July, 2016. Okay. And how old are they now? Oh my gosh. They're 13 and 12. Oh, wow. Middle yes. school. Middle school. Yes. Yeah, so fun. We got them when they were four and five. So it's been a while. <laughs> what, a journey. what a journey, girl. What a journey. Oh, but- I bet. I bet. I love that y'all, that you had, that y'all pursued adoption. I think it's so important. I've had several people that I've um, been privileged to interview and speak with who are in the same boat where they 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 just have a huge heart for adoption and, and it's just transformed their lives and their children's lives. And so, yes. Okay. Well, after adoption, what was the plan for you and your family? Were you thinking like, um, I'm going to, like, I need to stay home with the kids and I know y'all were moving to Atlanta. So kind of walk us through that specific season yeah so in July 2016 no we adopted in August 2016 I had just I had we adopted and well we fostered and then we also I also took a bilingual job in Dallas because I had been desperately searching and I was this close and right when we adopted I got the job and but you know what it was too much um driving to Dallas every day and having a brand new family so I ended up um, resigning quickly after, 
And then I was like, hey, we got to get these babies back on track and, you know, just get them stabilized. So I decided to stay home. Um, And when I stayed home, I just kind of subbed in bilingual classrooms. And then Chris got a calling to come to Atlanta. And that estimated date of moving was, um, I think, June 2017. And that's when we moved here. But yeah, I had to stay home. Like after that first year, it was just beneficial to be with them as we bonded. Oh, yeah, I bet. Well, okay, so now you guys are in Atlanta. And then I know that you you stumbled into a profitable real estate short term rental business that you said was inspired by the Super Bowl in Atlanta. So how was this inspired by the Super Bowl? And then how did how did you guys stumble into real estate? Well, um, when we moved to Atlanta, we had uh, one of the privileges was like um, just discounted housing in the city with the organization that we worked with. And so we were able to like really save a lot of money on that discounted rent. We knew we wanted a house in Atlanta, but we just didn't know where. So we were going to take that year to look around. And then um, our friend who is now a real estate mobile mogul here in Atlanta she and another friend too in Dallas they were both like hey why don't you just get the first house you buy and just make it a rental and you know what you could probably recover your down payment just by putting it on Airbnb and putting a high daily rate and then you know you'll benefit you'll you'll flip the house basically in a sense and we were like okay we got time I mean this is a great opportunity and we did and so We did it, and it wasn't as good as we expected it to be, the profit, but it covered, like, the overhead to furnish it. And so here we are with this new house that we hadn't moved into yet and fully furnished for someone to stay except us because we weren't (laughs) here. (laughs) And we were like, Chris and I were like, so what are we going to do? Like, we just hosted our first people. Do we just kind of keep going? And he was like, yeah, let's keep going. So we just kept going for another year. And I mean, it was a side hustle. So it wasn't like our main income, but it it felt pretty good. Um, And we were like, okay, let's keep doing this. And we kept going. And um, then I think about the second year, we were like, you know what, we need to make this into a business because it's becoming a little overwhelming. Then COVID hit. Oh my gosh. COVID happened. And That kind of changed everything, but thankfully we survived COVID with that house and then bought another house at the end of COVID. And then that's when we slowed down. But um, so now it's become an official business instead of a hot side hustle. So we have we have three doors that we manage here in Atlanta. And I think that's that's about enough for now with the family. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I remember (laughs) You know, because we kind of, you know, we're in a similar boat ourselves, too. Mm-hmm. And so I remember seeing some of the homes or the doors that you have. And because we were hoping to go to Atlanta at some point, wanted to stay there, but then we ended up not being able to. But yeah, it's just been, it's, it's neat to see you guys enduring that because I think it's such a great opportunity for, you know, people that are able to, to have that, even though it, like you said, it's, Sometimes it slows down, and when it slows down, it can be really stressful. But yeah. so you also said that the Super Bowl kind of it was inspired by that. how did how did the Super Bowl inspire y'all? It inspired us because just of the amount of profit that we can make 
and it just kind of really reduced the risk. And also, we also had people who were doing it around us, and we just thought that it would be super profitable. And um, but it turned out to be a flop because that Super Bowl wasn't as exciting. Like nobody was excited to come here, honestly. And then the the game wasn't great, you know. But it it generated enough. Like if you lived near the Mercedes Benz Stadium, like you did well. But if you were a little bit on the outskirts, you didn't do so hot. But yeah, so that's kind of what happened with that. Okay, so inspired in the sense that, oh, we were thinking like, oh, so many people are going to come so that it's going to, these homes are going to get rented out. Gotcha. Yes, for sure. Okay, so when y'all, when you both started getting into real estate, had either of you had experience in this market before or working in the short-term space or real estate in general? Zero experience. I think the only experience we had was in Denton. First of all, that was my first house. Like we, for all my life, we've lived in apartments, but after marrying Chris and, you know, you know, it was just inevitable to just, what my friend would say is get your own dirt. And so we owned our first house in Denton. And that was a big deal for me. So then coming to another state and doing it again, that gave, gave me a little of experience, but other than that, I think I did a car. You probably don't even know this. But I did like a, when they used to sell CDs on the infomercial online, I think Carlton Sheets, the no money down payment method. Like, I think I did a course in college and thinking I was going to buy my first property, but I just, I didn't have the right resources and I kind of put that away, but I've always had a desire to own some sort of property. And I think... The second one felt like that excitement that I felt years ago, like, oh, I could be an investor kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So in working in real estate, so you have this as a business and then and then we'll get to your other business as well. But what Mm -hmm. what have been some of the greatest obstacles for you or for both of you in owning real estate and then and working in the short term rental space? One of the biggest obstacles is how you have to adjust in the short-term rental industry. It changes so quickly. Um, And then adjusting in that, like, there's a high peak and a slow season. And so you have to be able to prepare for both. Because, you know, it could be super lucrative in the high season, but then it could be super dry (laughs) in a slow season. So being able to to not stress down and just want to quit um, (laughs) and just be able to like stay, stay encouraged and kind of just ride the wave to get to that next season. And and as a business owner, I mean, you just have to learn a lot. You, you constantly are learning and you're constantly asking questions to people who are experienced and there's no one to motivate you. I mean, what's going to motivate you is being broke. So So you are your own motivator. Um, And unfortunately, sometimes it's out of fear, but it should be out of a desire to like scale and and be profitable. Um, And so I've learned that to face or find a solution for these challenges is you have to have people and mentors in your ears just sharing, you know, just processes and operations that will keep you afloat. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I was going to ask you something along the lines of 
your short-term rental experience. Oh yeah. This is what I was going to ask you when, um, you know, when you guys first started, I would imagine the market wasn't fully saturated as like in our area, it has become just insanely saturated with Airbnbs, VRBOs and whatnot. And so that has yes. affected business. Have, have you noticed that as well for you guys in Atlanta? Yes, it, it has definitely become saturated, but I think it's in a unique way because and this is my perspective, but I think people have gotten excited about how Airbnb, how Airbnb has presented this idea that it's super easy, which it is getting started. And it can be, like I said, very lucrative, very profitable, but there has to be a commitment to consistency and being like riding the wave and being committed to it, to the business. And so I think people start and then they quit because all the time in these Airbnb groups, I see, hey, selling a whole apartment. Everything you want, six thousand dollars. So those those people kind of one, they they make the market saturated and they create these expectations for guests that now we who have been in the market for a while that they over either supersede because they everybody wants to do luxury, you know, come to our luxury, you know, Airbnb, and then now they expect all these other Airbnbs to be like that. Or on the flip side, they make guests think like okay, the Airbnb is trash, you know, and then they come to our Airbnb and they have a fabulous experience because we've just been committed to the guest experience. So you got both of those guests that they've created and then the saturation doesn't help, you know, um, because some people are either coming in or leaving now. Um, and it's just created this kind of environment that really is not consistent. So we're just trying to ride the wave and let some of these hosts who are inexperienced just leave <laughs> and let us stay, you know, kind of thing. So it doesn't seem as saturated. And we do get these consistent bookings that we had pre-COVID. Post-COVID, people had time to sit down and think about like, oh, I'm going to start an Airbnb business and then I'm going to quit in like three months or six months. So I don't know. I think once that kind of goes away, I think we'll be stabilized. And then Airbnb has also done a lot of changes. And so, I mean, that alone, if you can't ride the wave with that, that can be discouraging because it's a lot of technological changes and you have to keep up with the releases and that can be overwhelming for someone who's new. And so all these things you just have to take into consideration. It has just really changed the market. Yeah, it has. And so many cities, too, are putting up all these regulations against short-term rentals. And so that's affecting things as well. Is that Has that has anything changed in Atlanta specifically with Airbnbs, or is it still allowed? It's still allowed, technically, if you want to ride the wild side. But there is an ordinance that needs to be um, enforced. They just we haven't come to an agreement with the city because of so many investors and they have high dollar lawyers who are protecting their interests. So they're really dragging their feet on enforcing it, which is fine. You can jump in and out of the market and start it now. But once they enforce it, you have to have your license for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely changing, um, changing the game a little bit for some people, which is why a lot of people are getting out. Yeah, I know Dallas, they banned them in um, residential areas, right? 
Yeah, there's something with it. I don't want to speak to it fully, but I know it's, yeah, they change it in some capacity. And like, I know where we currently live, um, Mm -hmm. it's, you can't lease or rent out short term for less than 30 days. So it has to be 30 plus days. And in our area, we're by the airport. And so that kind of, it, it's, it, I don't, I feel like it, it initially hurt a lot of people and it hurt us. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but then I think more in the long term, it's, it's still helping other people just because you have people who are potentially thinking about moving to the area. And so they mm-hmm. um, are close to the airport so they can stay yep. close by and then figure out where they want to go. You just have to be able to pivot, you know, on, on notice. That's one of the challenges as well. So, yeah. 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 Well, at around the same time of owning and operating real estate, you also created your own private online language coaching program, Melifluent LLC. Yeah. And yeah. because we've talked already, you know, Spanish, the language, being from Pan- Panama is, is your culture. It's who you are. And so why, why did you want to start this coaching program now? You had all this real estate and mm-hmm. we're working on that. So why, why decide to start the coaching program? Well, Spanish has always been my passion and it's, and, and that was one of my fears is treating it always like a business, but I thought that it would be beneficial to start the business because it would make me committed a little bit more committed and, and also just honestly, the revenue that it can bring. But, and again, I kept getting inquiries um, about me teaching adults and children. So I just wanted to kind of have that on the side. Um, and then, so I'm learning now, though, that because it's more of a passion, I may even start a nonprofit to help people, um, you know, kind of create that equity, um, language equity, I guess. So it shouldn't have to be like, you shouldn't have to pay so much money to learn a second language. But anyway, but yeah, it I, I wanted to start it because it definitely was a passion and I wanted to offer it in different settings. And so the business way would have been the best way that I could do that to support, you know, my passion. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And I was curious too, and you may have just answered it as well, but if you have a separate answer, mm-hmm. wh- why specifically owning the business compared to just working in a traditional school program you know, kind of like how you had done previously. Why, mm-hmm. why that? Yeah. So I think that's a great question. Um, and this is kind of related to my other previous business ventures. So I've, I've done quite a few multi-level marketing businesses as well. I'd say that's where I get, got my practice from. Um, and I think they were all in all good experiences. I learned from each one of them. But what I definitely learned as a common thread was that each of these businesses wanted you to create a legacy, you know, within their, you know, their business. And so with Millifluent, one of my desires was to create a legacy of language learning for my family, for my daughters, and provide a safe space for them to not just learn, but if they wanted to spread it in the form of a business, they'd be able to, because I've already kind of trailblazed that for them. So essentially to answer your question, I wanted to create a legacy for my family. 
Love it. Spoken like a true entrepreneur as well, where you you yeah. like, I don't want them to be a part of their business. I need my own so they can create it for my for my family and my people. I love that. Well, would you mind sharing too a little bit how your how the online learning program works and and if people were interested in joining, like what they could expect? Yeah, for sure. So um, I, it's, it's in several capacities. Um, the most recent capacity has been where I have more outreach, has been partnering with other online teachers and me being um, kind of embedded into their school. That was my last partnership partnership by being a contractor. So they would have an online school and I would just offer language classes through them. Um, and then sometimes, well, it's been a long time since I've had this child of mine. I offer six to eight week cohorts for kids. I'd love to work with pre-K, but they're all over the place. Okay. And sometimes (laughs) Zoom is just not their thing, but I'm willing to work with K through up to like sixth grade. And we would do a cohort for about six to eight weeks, like I said. And then um, also private tutoring and I've done family sessions as well, Um, but they're usually six to eight weeks. And um, what I would do is do one-on-one training with the families. And then in the cohort settings, it would be about six to 10 students, depending on Zoom classroom management. (laughs) And then um, I would give homework and encourage the families to kind of um, have them apply their language learning. And so that's kind of how I do it online. And then let's see. Well, this is not part of Okay. Yeah. I'll leave it there for the online. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now, another question with your online program, and do you take all levels or is it more, I'm I'm, my first time exposure to the language and I'm starting with you or I -hmm. I would be intermediate to advanced, but it's been a while. Mm -hmm. So I need to come to you. What kind of, where do you fit in with everything? Yes. So for me, my audience right now is children. So beginner level, children um, to intermediate, advanced, I would have to kind of curate a special a lesson for them, but I would encourage them to, for a refresher, you know, if they are intermediate, to join the uh, beginner class, because I, I find ways to challenge advanced students, but mainly the audience is beginner intermediate. Adults, I'm still trying to figure that out, um, but I have great ideas. I just wish I had more time. Um, Adults is just usually one-on-one, and I just curate a a, a plan for them, and then we kind of move through that. Okay. Well, so in addition to your school or your online program and your short-term Airbnbs, your real estate business, you also started a language program at a local charter school. Joanna, can, is there anything you, you don't do? <laughs> yeah. So how, how did you know that this specific charter school needed assistance? And then how did you even get your foot in the door with them to start this program? When I came to Atlanta, I had already had the basis for uh, my online school. Um, I just needed to kind of test it out live. And so there was an opening for a teacher at this local school. And I just told them that they needed a language department because in order for the part of their motto was being like, like catering to the whole child, the whole family, the whole community. And I basically 
was like, hey, part of being a whole child is having exposure to the global community. And a lot of these children in this community at this charter school would not even visit or have not visited three miles outside of their community. So I was like, hey, how, how about, you know, hire me as a Spanish teacher and I can bring that exposure to them so that they can be inspired and prepared to go out and visit these countries where they can use this language in like 22 countries. And so I think that was the kicker that got me hired. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so, I mean, from there, I mean, and I'm so blessed to really be a part of this community and I still work with them. Um, contractually, but it was my feet in the door. It was basically a whole sandbox to try all the strategies that I had been learning in, in, in Texas and what I was continuing to learn. I had a great mentor and um, he just gave me basically permission to to bring literally Spanish to them. I mean, we visited on Google Maps about 10 countries every every year and we ate a whole bunch of different candies and pastries and had a Hispanic Heritage Month celebration. Uh, I didn't get to bring the mariachi because COVID came, but um, I even wanted to have a quinceanera. I had so many dreams, but um, for the most part, it gave me the foundation and the inspiration to keep going. And so I'm so thankful for that school. So yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's really neat and special. And I love how you kind of were for, uh, <clears throat> forthright about the information of, you know what, you need language. Hire me. I'm going to teach your, teach your kids Spanish <laughs> and then just creating this whole program. And it's so huge. I think when people don't have it, they don't realize the necessity of it. And then once you do yeah. have it, you're, it's like you can finally see, oh, man, it's so important. Like how we were talking about at the beginning, just opening your eyes and your mind to the world and different cultures and, and, and outside, like you said, for this school, that, that three three mile radius. And so you shared too that, you, you know, maybe at some point you're going to create a nonprofit so that you can provide language um, learning to other people who may not be able to afford these classes. And so mm-hmm. that'll be exciting to see yeah. you pursue that because I know you will. If, the, if you set your mind to it, you're definitely going to do it. And so as an entrepreneur who you've, you know, you've created several businesses and you've helped start all these different programs too. Did you ever feel blocked or limited to move forward based on your age? So did you ever feel blocked by your age to be able to move forward and pursue these things you wanted to pursue? You know, I would say not till recently, and having the added responsibility of God bringing our our surprise baby, um, that's when I started kind of thinking about it. But in order to remedy that, what always comes to the forefront is my passion. Like that has never gotten old. It has always just been renewed. It just looked different in different seasons of my life. And so that has always remained I guess, young and kept me young at heart and also just the need for it. Um, I mean, that's ageless, right? To be a global citizen, to help train others um, to be language learners. And so, um, so I really don't stop to think about that until, I think until now, but like I said, I quickly try to create this mindset that this is kind of a, a classic need. 
a timeless need to be a language learner. Yeah. Anything else that you have to tell yourself too to just push through those those limitations? I mean, like you said, to be like it's timeless. You can always learn and grow. But anything else that that is helpful for you? Yeah, I think just in, I've, I've become just really self aware. Uh, children will do that. Obstacles will do that. You know, you just kind of have to know where you're at. And I think that's that's important as well, just as a woman who is aging in general. And also with that, you have to be able to find where your contentment is and that like, you don't want to live with regrets, right? You don't want to live on your, be on your deathbed and be like, man, I wish I would have at least tried. And so I would say just try it. Right. And I think there will be confirmation whether you can keep going, but try every little idea, you know, within means, of course. I mean, don't quit your job and not support your family. But if you can do it, even if it's like for me now, like I'm kind of limited with my language learning, but I teach my little girl all the time. And so I I basically invite parents to to join me. Let's read a bilingual book. I mean, it's still feeding into my passion and that's what's going to keep you, you know, going so that, you know, you don't just quit, you know. So just be flexible in how you can pursue it and it's it doesn't have to be the big dream team plan, but there's other avenues that you can um still feed your passion until you get to that part where you can be like, "Okay, I'm all in." Yeah. Well, so based on some based on what you just said, kind of answers my last question, but I'm going to still ask it in case you have anything else to add to it cuz this is the question that I love to ask all my guests. You know, as you know, women, we all the time just look at our age as either something that's limiting, it blocks us or a lot, you know, I've I've met so many people and I've talked with so many that are just like I've given these these years for a reason, so what am I going to do about it? And so if you could encourage one woman who does feel blocked or limited to pursue a dream or a goal based on their age or life circumstance, what would you tell her? I would say just sit down and take inventory of all your skills and your gifts and um, just be reminded of like how and why God gave you these talents and just think in your mind, they're just they're developed, like they're being developed and they're going to continually have to be developed. So at the end of the day, with your inventory list and your encouragement, just do it. Just take one step forward and put yourself around other people who also support your, um, your dream um, because that's going to keep you motivated as well. And just keep learning, like still continue to be that lifelong learner. If you go to a group and you're the oldest one there, who cares? Like you just have more life experience. Okay. And so that just adds more value to the current experience as a whole. So you take your little gray hairs in there and you, (laughs) (laughs) and you come with it. Okay. Cause one thing that they have is they don't have your life experience and there's a place for you at the table. Uh, I love that. Go in there, whether you're the oldest or not, that you have all this life experience to share and to and to to impart on other people that they they could learn from and 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 then you can learn from the those who are younger as well. Like we can all learn from each other because that's the whole thing. You're more than 
being old and being young, you're more than that age. Well, Joanna, I loved chatting with you. I would love for you to share if people are interested in, in finding you or learning more about your program, um, where they can reach you. And, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Yes, for sure. Um, well, right now, my most um, accessible way would be on my Instagram page, you two can be fluent. Um, and you just DM me again, only serious inquiries. Um, and I check that readily often. If you're looking for a place to stay in Atlanta, you can find me on Airbnb. <laughs> again. <laughs> I don't have a website, but if you reach out to me at I am Joanna Miller, um, my regular Instagram or YouTube can be fluent. I can guide you through that process. So. Yes. Perfect. I'll put both of those accounts in the show notes so that people can find you. Joanna, so good to see you. And for the, the, the listeners, if you can't, if you're not watching video, Joanna and I are matching. We did not plan this and great minds think alike. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> From yeah. one Spanish lover to the next. Well, you have a great day, Joanna. I appreciate this so much. Thank you for joining the More Than Your Age podcast. It's been a pleasure, Erica. Thank you. If you were encouraged by today's episode, like and subscribe to this podcast and share this episode with a friend. You can find me on Instagram at more than your age and visit the more than your age Facebook page. Keep striving for your goals, live fully, and we'll catch you next time on the more than your age podcast.